Well, we're going to do something a little bit different in this episode. Today, I'm going to read to you the introduction to my new book titled Beyond Thingification, Helping Your Church Engage in God's Mission. Uh, I'm really excited about this book because I think it's going to be really helpful for churches that are struggling with figuring out how to be the church in the world today. Right, The world today is nothing like the world as it was 50 years ago, not even as it was 20 or 10 years ago. And because of this, uh, a lot of churches are really struggling with how to be the church in the 21st century. Now, I should say that I'm speaking from a Western North American perspective. I don't know exactly what it's like in South America or, you know, or Asia or Africa or even Europe, um, but I uh, I, I think a lot of these principles from the book will actually apply to uh, churches all over the world and even organizations all over the world. Now, what I do know is that in North America, it is really hard to know how to do ministry because so much has changed. People used to go to church because, you know, that's just what you did, but that's not the case anymore. Today, even a lot of Christians don't go to church, at least not you know, the typical Sunday morning kind of church. And so my book, Beyond Thingification, and uh, I explain what that word means in the book. I should probably do a, an episode at some point in which I kind of unpack that word thingification a little bit. But the book is meant to help churches discern how to be the kind of church that this world needs, that the world actually needs, not what we think the world needs. And let me just say, it's not about starting more and better programs, right? It's about listening to God, listening to each other, and listening to our neighbors. So, without further ado, here is the introduction to Beyond Thingification, Helping Your Church Engage in God's Mission. I'm Marcus Watson, and this is Episode 43 of Spiritual Life and Leadership. Self-preservation, self-propagation. I believe these two words capture the frame of mind of most churches in Western culture today. Either your church is trying to stop declining, a kind of survival mentality, do whatever you can to keep the doors of the church open. The problem is that when we are consumed with self-preservation, it is easy to miss the marvelous things that God may be inviting us into. Or your church is focused on growing, where success is defined by how many people show up on a Sunday morning. And many churches are growing. Many churches do look very successful. Many churches feel quite confident in the achievements of their ministries. If you look at the goals such churches set for themselves, they almost always consist of numbers. Size of attendance, size of offering, number of people in small groups, number of people volunteering in ministries, and so forth. When the goals of a church are focused on self-propagation, however, it becomes quite possible to miss what God wants to do through our church beyond our growing numbers. Now, for almost nine years, I served as the senior pastor of a Presbyterian church in San Diego. A lot happened during that time. We grew, we declined, we welcomed young families, we served our local schools, we went on mission trips to Mexico, we cleaned up an ugly old alley behind our church, and we cut the budget. Every year. It was so frustrating. 
And it was scary. Why? Because I knew that eventually we wouldn't be able to cut program budgets anymore. Eventually, we would have to cut my salary. Maybe I should have had more faith, or maybe I should have been less selfish. But listen, I'm just being honest. I didn't want my salary cut. I was definitely in self-preservation mode. One of my practices at that church was to walk around the sanctuary a few times each day. That makes me sound very spiritual, doesn't it? (laughs) Well, don't think too highly of me. It was mostly because I was trying to get my 10,000 steps per day. I did, however, use that time of walking in the sanctuary to talk to God. Sometimes I would pray over certain pews and the people who normally sat there, or I'd pray generally over the various sections of the sanctuary. Sometimes I would thank God for the good things that were happening, and sometimes I would vent my frustration. On one of those frustrating days, I complained to God about how we were going to have to cut the budget again. In a moment of exasperation, I silently cried out, Lord, would you please tell me how to get more people to show up? And how can I get them to give more money? And in the very next moment, I thought to myself, Ah, I hate thinking this way. This is not what I signed up for when I became a pastor. I wanted to do more than just stress out over attendance and budget. What I wanted was to see people's lives transformed. I wanted to see our community transformed. And more than anything, I wanted to participate with God to bring healing and wholeness into people's lives and into the world. It is incredibly easy to get caught up in a self-preservation mentality. It's also easy to get sucked into the self-propagation mindset of church growth. They are really two sides of the same coin, aren't they? It's almost instinctive, and it has very little to do with what kind of church you lead. If you are in a church plant, the focus is likely on growing your numbers, providing an excellent worship service, and demonstrating how fruitful your church looks to others in your church planting network. If you are in a large church, the need for self-preservation slash self-propagation might express itself in terms of increasing and improving programs, the number of small groups and volunteers, the number of campuses your church has, and making sure you hire only the best staff and firing them if they're not the best. If you're in an older mainline congregation, self-preservation tends to revolve around, well, doing whatever it takes to keep from having to permanently shut the doors. We live in a world in which success is defined by these very things. How many people showed up, how many people got baptized, how many dollars people tithed, how many new members joined. It's not hard to get caught up in the numbers. In fact, numbers can become a kind of idolatry. When I was in my 20s, I was the high school youth pastor in a large congregation in Southern California. Every week, we had to report our numbers at the youth staff meeting. How many kids were at youth group? How many came to our Bible studies? How many kids came out to laser tag on Friday night? With how many kids did I do contact ministry? So I get it. I have felt, and often still feel, the pressure of needing to stop declining or keep growing. In order to relieve that pressure, we believe that we need to start new ministries. So that's what we do. We start programs. We try to get people to show up for our ministries and programs. We try to get people to do a bunch of church stuff. When they do show up, we feel successful and we feel like we've carried out God's will. When they don't show up, 
We feel like we've failed and we wonder if somehow we've let God down or failed to properly hear his call. Something about all this feels very wrong, doesn't it? Is this really what leading a church is all about? It's got to be about more than getting people to do church stuff, right? And that's where part of the danger lies. We may start to believe that God only works through his people when they are doing, quote, church stuff. When they are serving as an usher, when they are in the worship band, when they teach Sunday school, when they are a middle school youth leader, when they go on a mission trip. But doing church stuff is not what accomplishes the mission of God, at least not by itself. Doing church stuff falls under the umbrella of self-preservation and self-propagation. Rather, when our people engage in their callings, in their jobs, in their neighborhoods, in their families, and yes, sometimes even in their churches, that's when the mission of God is fulfilled. So then, how can God's people, the church, truly live out the mission of God? I'm convinced that it's not through more or better church programs, but through all of God's people living out their unique callings. This involves flipping a lot of our assumptions and expectations upside down. We tend to operate as though God's mission is discharged when the church invites people to participate in the church's programs. I believe, however, that the mission of God is lived out when ordinary followers of Jesus participate in what God is already doing as they live out their vocations. And what ordinary followers of Jesus need from their churches is support and affirmation for the work and ministry to which God has called them in their places of vocation. Now, I'm not suggesting that we need a different kind of church, uh, i.e. non-institutional, post-denominational, or whatever adjective you want to use. What we need is a different way of being church. So let me pose a few questions as we begin. How might churches affirm and embrace the ways God has called people in the church to serve God where they live, work, eat, sleep, and play? How can churches equip their people to participate with God in bringing healing and wholeness, shalom, to the world around them through their various callings? Is it really possible that the mission of God will be fulfilled not by church programs, but through the people of God as they live out their various callings? Is it possible as a local church to discover what God is up to in our neighborhoods and then participate with what God is already doing beyond the walls of our church in the spheres of our people's vocations? This book is for church leaders, especially those who are familiar with the question, how can I get more people to show up and give more money, but who also know that this is definitely not the right question. It's for pastors, for youth pastors, for worship leaders, for elders, for deacons, and for anyone else who has a leadership role in the church. It's for church leaders who are struggling to survive in a world for which they were not prepared in their seminary and ministry training. It's for those who are planting churches and want to begin right from the start with a deep sense of God's calling in their community. It's for those who are in churches that look like they're doing great, but sense that somehow something is missing. This book is for those who know their church could be so much more and is called by God to be so much more, but can't figure out how to get there. Getting there feels like an enormous obstacle. 
Is there anything that churches can intentionally do to help their people live into their callings so as to fully participate in the mission of God? I believe there is a way for churches to, quote, get there. I believe there is a way for the church to embrace and affirm the unique callings of all of God's people. I believe there is a way that churches can begin to move toward a model of ministry that helps people live lives of fruitful mission in all spheres of their lives. And I believe that there is a way for the church to discern how God is inviting us to join him far beyond merely doing bigger and better ministry. In the latter chapters of this book, I will show you a very practical way for churches to, one, help their people live into their vocations and participate in God's mission, and two, learn from their people so that the whole congregation can participate with God's work in the world. I call this approach a vocational connection group. Before we get to that, however, I want to explore some ideas to help us think deeply about nurturing our people in their callings and discovering how God is already at work in the world beyond the church's strategies and programs. I want to begin by considering the church's mission and how the church has lost its mission. We'll look at what it means for each person to have their own sacred calling, a vocation. And we'll explore why it is so important to recognize that God is already at work in the world. God is ahead of the church in the realms of our people's vocations. Finally, as promised, we will look at how to implement and execute a vocational connection group in your church. But right now, let's begin by considering the mission of the church. Well, there you go. Now, I don't have a specific release date for Beyond Thingification quite yet, but the goal is to have it out by late summer or early fall of this year, 2019. Uh, once we have a release date set, you will be the first to know. Uh, there's also going to be an audio version of the book, and so if that's your preferred way of reading books, then that is going to be available for you. Uh, in the meantime... I invite you to connect with me online. You can email me at marcus at marcuswatson.com. Don't forget, that's Marcus with a K. And you can follow me on Twitter at at Marcus Watson and on Instagram at at Marcus Watson. But on Instagram, the, uh, the O is a zero. All right. And again, Marcus with a K. Well, thanks so much for being here again. And I will see you next time here on Spiritual Life and Leadership.